Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to Season 3 of Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit. Leadership belongs to all of us. It's not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm going to start today's podcast by thanking one of my previous guests, Dan Nornberg, who I had on the show. And him and I had so much fun and he mailed me his book. And then he introduced me to Tony Martinetti, who I'm going to have on today. So let me tell you a little bit about Tony. I love his his bio. It's it's short and to the point. And I can already tell he's somebody that I'm going to enjoy talking to today. He's a trusted advisor, a coach, an experienced creator, an author, a podcast host, which always I welcome. I love having someone seasoned on the other side of the mic. And he's a speaker. He brings over 25 years of business and management experience, formal training, and my favorite part, extreme curiosity to elevate leaders and equip them with the tools to navigate change and unlock their true potential. He loves to guide people to find clarity in their lives. I already can tell he's full of energy. And I always enjoy meeting another coach, talking to another coach and interviewing another podcast host. So Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Well, and I'm excited to let our listenership know that you're the host of the Virtual Campfire podcast, and you also authored Climbing the Right Mountain, Navigating the Journey to an Inspired Life. So we will make sure we put those references in the podcast episode description. And I'm excited to interview you. So I'm going to jump right into my questions if you're ready. I'm ready. Always ready. Okay. I know that you love to talk about navigating change, finding fulfillment. And I'm intrigued to hear how does one go? And let me put this in context. How can people, specifically leaders, Mm -hmm. how can we go from reactive to creative? Ooh. Yeah, it's a great question because I think there's there's great power in, you know, navigating that transition. You know, one of the things that is really challenging is that we are wired to be reactive. It's something in our DNA that has us in this place of, you know, dangers in front of us. Let's react to that, you know, danger. The reality is we should, you know, think about this as this transition as being a way to step away and, and look at what's possible if we just, you know, take the emotions in and don't react in that moment and think what's possible here? What is the possibility of what could be created if we just let the emotions sit for a moment? It's not about taking them and and st- storing them away or, you know, suppressing them, but it's about letting them sit for a moment and pausing in that moment and think, what could I do with this? moment that will allow me to be more productive and create something that's more meaningful in this moment. So that the shifting of gears allows us to to take something that would normally trigger us and create a moment of 
jumping in and doing something instead pausing and seeing that there's a possibility if we just give it a moment before we jump in. I I love that. I always call it the power of the pause. Yeah. And and we always have time to do it. Yeah. We don't necessarily want to do it or act and do it, but there always is the time. It's, you know, it makes me think of, I, I have this fraction that I, I often write when I'm chatting with someone or just, you know, a self audit for myself, logic over emotion. Yes. And when I read your, you know, interest in reactive to creative, it was like, it's the same, it's it's synonymous too. So I love that. Yeah. Okay, my second question has permanent residency on the show. It's brought a lot of different answers, a lot of laughter. Share with us what imperfections that you bring to your heart-centered leadership. Yeah, there's something powerful about this question, which is just the imperfections of, you know, I was a perfectionist for most of my life. And the the challenge with that is that it got me so stuck. Um, and so now the imperfections that I bring to my work now is that I... I don't know where I'm going to take people. But what I do is I trust my instincts to just see what shows up. And we play with what shows up. And so being able to play allows me to be okay with even the little things that go wrong are perfectly fine and allow us to see where we go from there. Because even the errors and the challenges of what is not perfect allow us to see what we do next. You know, a lot of times when people come on my show or even in my coaching sessions, they'll share things where like, oh, you know, everything went completely wrong. And I often think of this this quote from an author that I love is uh, Benjamin Zander. He says, how fantastic when things go wrong, because it gives you a chance to really play in that space of the imperfections. And I think the last two years, which is why I created this podcast, you know, if we could just embrace our imperfections, Mm. it still allows us to be heart-centered and to think and align with our heart and lead with our heart. And imperfections, it doesn't equate your stature, your title, your schooling, your experience. It just lets everybody know that we're all universally aligned. Mm. And when we share our imperfections, I think it helps people lower their wall of resistance and you get that you too, me too conversation. And it helps develop trust and rapport when people know that we're not perfectionists because it's not a tangible reality. But I've met a lot of people, including myself, we're all recovering perfectionists. Yeah. I want to share something with you, which I think is interesting about this idea of um, imperfection, which is around art. Now, I was an artist as a child and then um, through programming and all the things that people often do in their journey, you know, I went into the world of finance and and uh, and business. And now I see these things in perspective where I say, well, art is never really done. It's always imperfect. There's always something about it that could be tweaked or could be, you know, changed. And I think that's what the beauty of it is. When you look at certain sculptures, the artists always see something that they could have done slightly different than what they see in the canvas. And that's okay. What it is, is it's still beautiful in its imperfections. I agree. And Mm -hmm. I'm a horrible artist, but I do my best. 
And I'm always intrigued by the colors we choose. And I look at it as whatever mood we're in or whatever we've experienced that day, we're drawn to certain colors. And, Mm. you know, I love listening to music when I draw or paint. And it's more just of a self-care relaxation. Mm. But you're right. It's imperfection is so beautiful. And Mm. I come from the world of disability management. And it was a regular conversation that I would have with patients who sustained you know, an injury and and were then disabled versus people who were disabled from birth. So that could be a whole other show, that topic. But I just, I love the way you frame that. Okay, my third question is, you claim that everyone has their own unique style Mm -hmm. and that we just need to connect to it. So how does one live with passion or find those little pockets of inspiration. I like to say what's tucked in the corners of today. Mm. How do you help people come alive to realize that that inspiration is really the connection to their soul? Give us give us a give us a little uh Cole's notes version of of how you work with this and and how you've observed it and or maybe even a personal experience that led you to realizing the importance of this in your practice. Absolutely. There's so many ways I could approach this, but I'll start by saying that, you know, oftentimes people come to me and they're, they're stuck in their patterns. There's a sense of like, well, we're in rinse, wash and repeat. And that leads us to feel like there's something missing in our fulfillment of life. The, The colors have faded away in how we're experiencing life. And what I try to get them to do is to see that, okay, well, you know, what, what do you think is missing right now? What are some things that you used to enjoy or some things that you feel like would bring that spark back to, you know, your enjoyment of the work and the the meaning back into the, you know, your life. And inspiration are the sparks that that really bring you in line with your soul's purpose. But it starts by taking a moment and looking at the moments in life that, really do bring you joy. And that might require you to step away for a moment from what you're currently doing and see what has you stuck? What are the things that you've initially started to go into because that's what you thought you wanted, but now it's become almost a a self-imposed prison and you need to step away and see other possibilities. And so that's really what I get people to think is is what else is, is possible. And one of the tools I use around that is I I call it expand your vision, narrow your focus. Mm -hmm. So I get people to expand their vision by seeing what else is possible without committing anything, Mm -hmm. just seeing options. Once they do see some options available to them, then what I have them do is I, I get them to narrow down into focusing on the next possible step for them, even if it's an imperfect step. Mm-hmm. I love that. Now, before I ask you my last question, I, I need to preface it. So <laughs> you and I have something in common. So I worked in the disability management world for 21 years. Yeah. And I landed up losing five executives who were on short-term disability claims in my last year. Yeah. That catapulted me into coaching. Mm but I never thought I would be coaching. And it wasn't until I hired a coach to help me develop an exit strategy to close my clinic. And then I hired a different coach to go, 
where the hell do I go now? Like, what am I packing up? What am I, you know? And it was so funny because I'll never forget when my coach said to me, why would you not want to coach executives and keep the legacy alive of the five that you lost and to share the continuity of their message, right? All five of them, I sat with all of them at hospice. I held their hand at end of life, greatest privilege ever. And I was a hospice volunteer. So the alignment of that happening was just so serendipitous to me, but they shared two things. They said they didn't live their truth and they didn't speak their truth. They tolerated a toxic culture. Yet outside of work, two of the five were super healthy, like marathon runners, working out, but it's that emotional dis-ease that sits inside, that stirs, that causes a lot of difficulty. And we've got into great conversations and debates on the podcast. So my question, and, and the reason I prefaced it, was you were an executive. Yeah. Why did you, and when did you kind of draw the line in the sand and go, I'm out of here, and I think I'm going to move into coaching because... I align with you so much on that. And I would love to hear a little bit of how that happened for you. Yeah, I love what you shared because there's something really powerful about the story that you shared and it does touch a nerve. You know, I I spent most of my my journey working in biotech and doing things that, you know, helped to to save lives indirectly. Uh, but I definitely have met my fair share of patients and that have come to me and said, you know, thank you for what you've done. And it really touches your soul um, when you hear people say that. So it was hard for me to consider the fact that I would I would leave an industry like that. And now I get to serve them from a different angle. But the reason what that got me to move from that space and start to become a coach was this realization that I wasn't doing the work I was meant for. And it really came to a head when I was sitting in a boardroom um, in a biotech company and, and seeing the leaders show up for the wrong reasons. You know, we we're here to save lives. And I saw these leaders being toxic and, you know, not worrying about whether or not we're doing, you know, leading on purpose, but instead worrying about their own egos and how they showed up. I looked around the room, saw a, a lot of people who were just checked out. And I said to myself, I can't do this any longer. I can't collect a paycheck and just be here. I need to do something about this. And so I decided to walk out of the boardroom. And I said, I'm going to leave the room to change the room. And it's through that moment of complete fear, but also complete clarity in a sense that I know that my purpose was meant to change the way people lead in the world that got me into coaching. Very very challenging period because I didn't know how that was going to manifest, but it did manifest and it took some time before I got really clear on that, that mission. And I'm so grateful I did. I want to share one other part of this, which is to say that there's some misalignment that, you know, I had a lot of beautiful parts of me that I was hiding along the journey. And when you shared the stories of people having like these great lives outside of work, and then their work became almost a place where they just go to collect a paycheck and um, and just kind of hide themselves. I think that's what's missing in a lot of workplaces nowadays is where we feel like we have to hold back who we really are in the workplace. Mm-hmm. That's not healthy. You know what? It's not. And unfortunately, it's a conversation that I have daily 
I just did a large keynote for a large financial company in Canada. And two hours after the talk, one of the senior female leaders called me and she was in tears. And she said, I needed you today. And she said, I quit. Beautiful. She said, uh, thank God you chose to help us. And she said, I never met you till you were chatting to us. And she said, I'm glad you keep the legacy of those five executives alive. And I'm glad you talk about them every day. And I don't want to become one of them. So I resigned. Yeah. That that hit me in the heart. And it was like, you know, as entrepreneurs, if you ever need the lightning bolt of, hey, should I keep going? That was my lightning bolt that day. And that was recent. Mm. That is beautiful. So I don't I don't I don't take stuff like that lightly. Yeah, I mean, we need that, you know, as entrepreneurs, but also I'll say just all of us, we need those moments that say, you're doing the right work. You're doing the work that's meaningful and it's impacting people Mm -hmm. in whatever way that is, you know, we need to feel as though we're making a difference. Absolutely. So, Okay, I'm going to move into my fab four. Awesome. And this is just four fun questions. I don't want you to think, I just tell me what's on the top of your mind. If I sat with all of your friends and family and I asked them to describe you in one word, what would it be? They would say scattershot, like a very, you know, they'd say the person who sees something shiny and goes after that. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. If you could describe to us a book that changed your life, can you remember the title and the author and tell us why? Yes, absolutely. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is the first thing that came to mind. It still, to this day, resonates with me. Every single one of the habits is classic. It's a classic book. That's that's been mm. mentioned before on the show. I love it. Okay, I'm arranging for you to have dinner with a leader. So I'll wrap mm. some context. This could be a leader of today or someone in history who's passed. Who are you having dinner with and what is the dinner conversation? Oh my gosh. Well, the first person who comes to mind is Gandhi because I want to know how one person who is, you know, seemingly insignificant could move so many people just through his passion and his compassion. It's really powerful. That would be an interesting dinner for sure. And you're right. He is a heart-centered leader. Mm. Amazing. Okay, before we finish the show, I'm just going to say another shout out to Dan for connecting us together. And I love the work that you're doing. And I love that you've packed up your executive role and brought it with you into your coaching. I, I think it's such a service that so many people need and that you can relate to from the sector that you come from. So I just want to say continued success to you. And thank you from the bottom of the heart for being on my podcast and continued success for your podcast. And the same back to you. My heart goes out to you and the work that you do. Uh, I'm so grateful for what you're doing. Okay, my fourth question is, I'd like you to finish the sentence and close out the show. Heart-centered leadership is? Heart-centered leadership is leadership that takes the people and puts them in the front of the business. Thanks for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed the show today and learned some new
your leadership from our amazing heart-centered guest. And if you like the show, we would welcome a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And we would love to have any comments or feedback at any time. And if you want some more heart-centered goodness, head over to our daily blog, masteringtheheart.com. Thank you.